Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, not September 25th, it's October 2nd, 2018, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our special guest this evening is Carly Mattimore, who is a shamanic psychotherapist with 30 years experience, as well as a therapeutic energy worker. She has traveled to Timbavati, South Africa, and Zimbabwe several times, and she teaches shamanic workshops at the Ahara Spiritual Community in Springfield, Illinois. Along with her co-author, Linda Starwolf, her new book is entitled Sacred Messengers from Shamanic Africa, a guide to connecting with the wisdom and energies of ancient Africa and awakening the lion-hearted spiritual warrior within. It was predicted by indigenous tribes in Africa that when the white lions returned to their sacred lands in Timbavati, we would be in a time of evolutionary and spiritual awakening. On Christmas Day in the year 2000, Mara, the white lion, was born, the first way-shower to arrive and help us awaken to our divine origins. When we were one with all life in Zeptepi, the land of first time, our spiritual warrior selves are being summoned to heal the separation between us and nature, to be the change agents of heart as we evolve to a higher consciousness exploring how to awaken the energies and messengers of ancient Africa that reside along the 31st meridian, the spine of Mother Earth, Carly Mattimore and Linda Starwolf take you on a journey to connect with our original roots in Africa, hidden deep within our DNA. And you can visit her website at aharaspiritualcommunity.org. And Ahara is spelled A A. H-A-R-A, Ahara, spiritualcommunity.org. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy, Jada, and Fiona for hosting the Switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for our guest. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com and it's a safe place to connect with other starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. And you can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. If you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notices if you choose to have those notifications. The toll-free number for starseedhotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want that chart interpreted, if you want a reading with that, You're going to have to order it at least three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list for those. 
So first up this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating Starseed News. Hey, Anastasia, how you doing? Ariel, good evening, everyone. Great to be with you. Lots of news, my goodness. We've had a powerful earthquake of a magnitude 6.6 that has occurred in the Fiji Islands region. A powerful earthquake occurred uh, yet Sunday, started to say yesterday, it happened Sunday. There was no report of casualties or damage, and an initial reading by USGS put the quake at a magnitude of 6.8, but that was later revised downward. Earlier this month, the Pacific Island was rocked by a magnitude 7.8 quake earlier this month in the Fiji Islands. And in Indonesia, desperation is everywhere. Boy, oh boy. The confirmed death toll from an earthquake and tsunami on Indonesia's Sulawesi Island has risen to 1,234, up from 844 yesterday, according to their National Disaster Agency. They said that today. Well, desperation is exploding into anger today. In the town closest to the epicenter of the massive 7.5 earthquake and tsunami that hits parts of the island four days ago, with residents begging Indonesia's president to help them as hungry survivors crawled into stores and grabbed boxes of food. Most of the attention so far has focused on the biggest affected city, named Pelu, home to most of the more than 840 confirmed deaths, and a number is expected to rise in that city as more areas are reached. Other outlying areas surrounding this city have received little assistance largely due to the impassability of their roads. Everyone is hungry and they want to eat after several days of not eating, somebody has said. We have anticipated it by providing food and rice, but it wasn't enough. There are too many people to feed. So on this issue, we cannot pressure them to hold out much longer. The desperation is visible everywhere among victims receiving almost no aid. In Pelu, a city of 380,000 people, signs propped along roads read, We need food and we need support, while children begged for cash in the streets and long lines of cars snarled traffic as people had to wait for their fuel. Teams were searching for trapped survivors under destroyed homes and buildings, including a collapsed eight-story hotel in that city, but they need more heavy equipment to clear their rubble. One resident said, I and about 50 other people in Balaroa were able to save ourselves by riding on a mound of soil, which was getting higher and higher. And she said that her house was destroyed. Indonesia is frequently struck by earthquakes. We talk about that frequently on this show. They also have volcanic eruptions and tsunamis because of its location on the Ring of Fire, which, as you know, is an arc of volcanoes and fault lines in the Pacific Basin. A powerful quake on the island of Lombok killed 505 people this last August, and two moderate quakes occurred near the eastern island, an eastern island late last week. The vast archipelago is home to 260 million people on more than one uh, on more than 17,000 islands that stretch a distance similar to that between New York and London. Imagine that. 17,000 wow. islands with 260 million people. That's just a tidbit that those of us in the states unless we're geography buffs uh just might not know. 
And anyway, a recent string of natural disasters, the latest being this deadly earthquake and the, the tsunami in Indonesia, have extracted a severe toll, both economic damage and human lives throughout all of Asia. Now, the, U- the UN Office for Disaster Risk Reduction says that disasters hurt the poorest among people in the poorest countries most severely. Obviously, that goes without saying. But they are talking about the economic toll and they say that that is probably highest in the more affluent countries like Japan. Annual losses from disasters like earthquakes, tsunamis, and typhoons average about $300 billion. And in the last several months, Asia has experienced a magnitude 6.7 quake in Japan. There was Typhoon Mankut that hit mostly the Philippines, Hong Kong, and China a 6.9 earthquake in Lombok, Indonesia, and a dam collapse in Laos and Cambodia, landslides and flooding in western Japan, and now this earthquake and tsunami in Indonesia just a few days ago. Billions and billions of dollars and so much tragedy for those people. And on the Amazon River, there is catastrophic flooding, according to scientists, They tell us that severe flooding on the Amazon has increased amid changing weather patterns, and it's harming the health and incomes of people living along this world's biggest river. Analyzing more than 800, excuse me, more than 100 years of records uh, that measure Amazon River levels in the port of Manaus in Brazil, they found extreme floods that occurred roughly once every 20 years in the first part of the last century. But now, these floods are happening about, would you believe it, every four years. The severe flooding has affected the Amazon basin nearly every year from 2009 to 2015. They link this increase in flooding to a combination of warmer temperatures over the Atlantic Ocean and cooler temperatures over the Pacific. With temperatures that are expected to rise in the Atlantic, flood risks on the Amazon River will persist according to scientific predictions. And I had never heard the word Medicaid. We've heard the word hurricane, we've heard heard the word typhoon, but there is such a thing as a Medicaid. And Medicaid Zorba is slamming into Greece. It is spawning tornadoes and flash flooding, or actually it did. A Medicaid is a tropical-like cyclone, and it made landfall over southern Greece on Saturday. They had severe winds, torrential rainfall, flash floods, and tornadoes. All of that in the beautiful Mediterranean climate of Greece, a Medicane. And a tropical storm, Rosa is what they named it, is heading for Baja and the U.S. Southwest. This article is out of Phoenix. After uh, soaking northwestern Mexico with heavy rains as it neared the Baja California Peninsula, Reportedly claiming at least one victim, Tropical Storm Rosa is expected to drench the United States Southwest. And from Arizona to Utah, some residents are filling sandbags in anticipation of the heavy rainfall forecast and potential flooding. Now, the center of Rosa, which was a hurricane until late Sunday, was expected to hit Baja and Sonora early this morning, bringing three to six inches of rain. It's expected to move quickly northwest as it weakens, bringing two to four inches of rain to central and southern Arizona, 
and one to two inches to the rest of the desert southwest, <clears throat> excuse me, the central Rockies and the Great Basin. In southern Arizona, heavy rain yesterday flooded streets in Yuma and caused power outages in parts of that city. At least six roads in Tucson were closed because of flash flooding from washes that overflowed. And the Utah National Guard was activated yesterday to assist in flood mitigation efforts in Utah County. <clears throat> and where there isn't water, there is that frozen stuff called snow. Up to six inches of early snow blanketed the, back, the Black Hills of South Dakota. The higher elevations of the central and northern Black Hills from last Thursday night into Friday morning. And while most places that got snow received between one and four inches, in the higher elevations they reported six inches of snow near Hill City and six and a half inches of snow near Deerfield. That's awfully early. And here it is. Yeah. This is happening all over the northern latitudes. Snow everywhere in the northern latitudes. They're saying in early winter, many locations are already experiencing that. And it's not over in Hawaii. No, I'm not going to tell you about a volcano. There's a new hurricane. The Coast Guard is working to evacuate certain scientists from an atoll in the path of Hurricane Wallaka. Hurricane Wallaka has intensified to a Category 5 tropical cyclone as it churns southwest of the Hawaiian Islands. The Central Pacific Hurricane Center said at 5 o'clock in the evening yesterday that Wallaka was packing maximum sustained winds of 160 miles per hour with higher gusts. And forecasters are telling us that the hurricane could continue strengthening even more through today as it barrels towards the Johnston, the Johnson Atoll, and a hurricane warning has been issued for this inhabited wildlife refuge. Not many people there. How many? Only four scientists on this atoll were planning to ride out this hurricane in their hurricane-proof shelters. But U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service officials decided to evacuate the team. Well, thank goodness. A little tiny island in a Category 5 hurricane. Uh, wow. Good thing they're leaving. Mm. Now, net neutrality. Let's talk about that for a minute. Any of you that have Internet businesses um, other than just surfing or if you depend on the Internet for your income, you may have noticed some changes, um, perhaps in your level of business or maybe some of your traffic. Maybe you haven't. I cannot say. But it has been the topic of discussion around my area with people that I know that they seem to have noticed a decrease in uh, Internet trade to their small businesses. Well, in California, a U.S. Department of Justice lawsuit is about to delay the rollout of California's proposed legislation, which they are calling toughest in the country net neutrality law which they have set to take effect January 1st. Congress be hanged, California says we will have net neutrality. Now, the advocates of this law are hoping that this will stop Internet providers from favoring certain content or websites and will push Congress to enact national rules to encourage other states to create their own if Congress won't do it for us. 
but legal experts are saying that it's possible that a judge will put the new law on hold while this California lawsuit plays out. If that happens, the delay could be significant because the issue appears destined for, guess what, the Supreme Court. Well, Governor uh, Jerry Brown of California signed a law just Sunday that prohibits Internet service providers from blocking or slowing data based on content or from favoring websites or video streams from companies that pay extra. It also bans zero rating, in which Internet providers don't count certain content against a monthly data cap, generally video streams produced by the company's own subsidiaries and, subsidiaries and partners. Now, the U.S. Department of Justice sued California immediately, arguing that the federal government has exclusive authority to regulate the Internet. The net neutrality advocates worry that without rules, Internet providers could and will create fast lanes and slow lanes that favor their own sites and apps or make it harder for consumers to see content from competitors. In response, the California Attorney General and 21 other state attorneys general filed a lawsuit in January in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals seeking to invalidate that FCC rollback. The appeals court has yet to rule, and other legal analysts expect in an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, which will likely guide the outcome of this latest lawsuit. Wow. Dear, dear, dear. <laughs> well, uh, since we have a guest uh, that is centered in African shamanism tonight, I thought that I should include this article. And it is about First Lady Melania Trump, who is right now headed for Africa. Actually, she left yesterday. First Lady Melania Trump headed for Africa on Monday on her first independent international trip on a five-day, four-country tour that will take her to every corner of the continent. Mrs. Trump's five days on the continent will feature a mix of visits to hospitals, schools, and shelters as she focuses on the well-being of children. Press release out of Washington, written by probably the First Lady staff, but there it is. First Lady is going to Africa. And this is a wild, kind of weird article, but I want to share it with you. We're all kind of interested in CERN, and this concerns CERN. <laughs> that rhymes. Yeah. But a, a physicist has been suspended for a talk that sparks sexism concerns. And this comes out of CERN, officials at the world's largest particle accelerator, yesterday, suspended an Italian physicist pending an investigation into his, quote, highly offensive, end quote, presentation on gender issues that raised new concerns about sexism in science. Now, CERN, as you know, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, uh, said that a man named Alessandro Strumia of the University of Pisa was out of line in his talk last Friday for a seminar on, quote, high energy theory and gender, end quote. Now, are you all following this? Are you making any sense out of this? Not this yet. <laughs> gave a speech at CERN, and the subject of his speech was high energy theory and gender. I, I will continue. The scientist gave a slide presentation that featured charts, graphs, and tables with one quotation that said, quote, Physics, invented and built by men, it's not by invitation, end quote. 
Well, they got people talking. They wondered what he meant. What was he in, in, insinuating? Now, when he was interviewed, this man explained his intention by saying this, which just made things worse for him, and I quote, The workshop was continuously telling that men are bad, men are sexist, they discriminate uh, against us, lots of things like this, he said. Now, I did a check to see if this was true, and the result was that was not true. And then he went on to say, there is a political group that wants women and other people to believe that they are victims, according to this physicist. That's what he said. Now, according to a female conference attendee, she said, he was claiming that some of the positions that women were getting, they're getting positions with fewer citations than men. She said, now this means what she's saying is, is that these women were getting positions that they didn't earn because they didn't have the academic credentials, and they were getting them just because they were women. That's what she said. He said. And then she went on to say, I'm not so sure that his thesis is supported by the data. Meaning, <laughs> if you need a translation, she's not sure that those are really the facts, that women are getting promoted just because they're women. And the article went on and on and on to say, about the uh, conflicting theories and all of the arguments that men are having, because you see, most of the degreed people in physics are males, and certainly most of the Nobel laureates are males. And so now there is a discussion about why there are not more women in physics, and why young women in college are not encouraged by their physics professors, and so on and so forth, and why it's hard for women in physics to get the best jobs. And here is a male physicist who's fighting back, saying that. Uh, it's not true, and that women really don't necessarily have the credentials to get these high positions, and it's not because they're being discriminated against, but simply because they don't have the credentials. So there's the argument, and thought I'd share it. It's, uh, it's going crazy. <laughs> Another strange story. Bear with me, guys. I hope I haven't put you to sleep yet. In the U.K., United Kingdom, a trans parent is going to court to force the government to recognize her as a male. <clears throat> now, the most senior family court judge in England and Wales is set to rule on a case involving a transgender man whose baby is at the center of a historic human rights fight. Lawyers say that the baby could become the first person born in England or Wales who will not legally have a mother any mother. It will be a baby without a mother. The baby is the child of a single parent who was born a woman but now lives as a man after undergoing surgery. Judges have heard that the man had been biologically able to get pregnant and give birth but had legally become male by the time that the child was born. He wants to be identified as the child's father or parent on a birth certificate, but a registrar, that's the person who takes your application for permits and certificates, has told him that the law requires people to give birth to be registered as mothers. Lawyers say other transgender men have given birth but have, have been registered on birth certificates as mothers. They say that if this man wins his legal fight to be registered as a father, the child will be the first person born in England or Wales and maybe anywhere else in the world not to be legally born of a mother. 
things are getting complicated in our world. Yeah. Did you all stay with that? Could you stay with that, yeah. Ariel, that that makes it? Yeah, yeah. it's a little mind-boggling, though. Well, you know, it, it yeah. makes language almost impossible to... Well, yeah, to I mean, it's just words. ...for a form of communication. You, you yeah. just don't even know what you're talking about anymore. But there it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, Italy has had a stock market crash, guys. Um, on Friday, Italian stock, stocks had their worst day, they say, in more than two years. And while it was the big financial stocks... Uh, that were on, they say it was the big financial stocks that were on the cutting edge of this financial carnage. And meanwhile, in Argentina, the Argentine peso has lost approximately 50% of its value so far in 2018. And in a desperate attempt to stop the bleeding, the Central Bank of Argentina just panic-raised interest rates to a whopping... 65%. Wow. You you just cannot imagine. You know, I've I've talked before on this news about uh, Argentinians going without food, the long lines, um, uh, their money being devalued, people going to get a loaf of bread, uh, uh, carrying money in wheelbarrows. Uh, This is the talk of the Depression in the United States. Uh, You know, my... Uh, parents used to talk about having to take wheelbarrows of money to get bread in the Depression. And uh, here it is now in Argentina. And now they're faced with this 65% interest rate. The amount of human suffering is just incalculable. We are coming at a time on this planet when the polarities are pulling so hard in opposition, it really is threatening to tear the world apart. You know, when I cover the news on this show, we don't talk about everything. We don't have time to talk about everything. Not only do we not have time, I'm not sure it's even advisable. But suffice it to say, uh, and and there are many things that are going on that the news doesn't tell us anything about. For instance, and this is ad lib, I don't have this on my paper, so I might stumble a bit. But I did hear through, uh, and I don't even know where, one of the news outlets claimed that in the last number of days, um, ICE or the uh, uh, the government hauled 2,000 uh, illegal immigrant children out of their shelters, their, their homes, from New York to California, the, entirely across the country, uh, took them away from their facilities at 2 o'clock in the morning, grabbed them up, put them on buses, and shuttled them somewhere else. Now, all of this is going on during the Kavanaugh trial, or the Kavanaugh uh, hearing, excuse me, sounds like a trial, doesn't it? He is a judge. It's not supposed to be a trial. It's supposed to be a hearing. But in any event, while the media uh, continues on and on, ad infinitum over one subject for seven, eight days, all of these other things are happening. People are uninformed. And I think that that contributes to the unconsciousness of the masses. It fosters and engenders apathy and indifference. And this is a time in world history where that cannot be allowed, really. We cannot afford to be apathetic or indifferent. We have to know what's going on so we can counterbalance these things, not only with our energy, but with our actions and our behavior. Having said that, a little bit of editorializing there, um, I want to share this with you on a positive note about women. California is very progressive. You know, it's always been progressive, but it's really getting progressive. California becomes the first state to require women 
on corporate boards, boards of directors. Require is the key word here. California will be the first state to require publicly traded companies to have at least one woman on their board of directors. The law, which was signed by Governor Jerry Brown Sunday, requires public companies whose principal executive offices are located in California to comply by the end of 2019. The minimum required will be two female directors if the company has five directors on its board or three women if it has seven directors on its board. This will all have to take place, and I don't know why these figures contradict, but at the end of the article it tells us that they have until the close of 2021 to do that. I think the three women, they're giving an extra couple of years to acquire more women. If they only need two women, I think they have to comply by 2019. I'm not sure. The article doesn't specify. But in any event, you get the idea. Requiring women to be on boards of directors. Wow. I mean, personally, I think that's cool. But, you know, that is going to throw a cramp in a lot of style and um, really create a scramble for for qualified professional women. So any starseed out there that have such ambitions, here's your chance. There's really? going to be a demand, a lot of demand for women to sit on uh, boards in California coming up. And uh, finally, in the close of this news, I just want to pass along a couple of other ad lib things that occurred today ahead of the preparation of this news. And that is that the uh, uh, Iceland uh, volcano is erupting at the moment, and there is another one erupting today just outside of Mexico City. And the Barren Island volcano in the Indian Ocean is uh, experiencing a new eruption. They say that there are thermal signals visible on satellite. They're saying that lava is flowing on the north flank of the cone, uh, probably reaching the northwestern coast of this island. So, And there was another earthquake I didn't mention. So as of today, on Tuesday, late, uh, there have been uh, three volcanic eruptions, and uh, that's going on just since I put the news together early this morning. Wow. So, my, we are in a time of great change, and there it is. So, um, it's a pleasure to be with all of you. I greatly enjoy bringing you the news, but what I enjoy most of all is giving each one of you love and affection uh, from my heart to yours for the coming week. So, may you all walk in beauty. Have a beautiful week, everybody. Feel the love. Be strong and be joyful. Thank you, Ariel, for this opportunity. More news next week. Wow. Thanks so much. And we do want to just take a, a moment and ask our audience to send your your loving support, your energy um, to the people that have been stricken, especially you know in Indonesia, in the Pacific Ring, and places where people are in trauma and turmoil. Send them, you know, the Emerald Ray healing and loving support. And send energy to those officials that can have the capacity to make the difference but maybe aren't doing it. Right, yes. All the way around. That motivates goodness on this planet. Let's motivate some breaking through of apathy, indifference, and corruption. Let's counterbalance that with humanity and divinity, how about, combined, right? Thank you, Ariel, for that. I know that good. that will make all the difference. Don't think it doesn't, guys. It it does make a difference. 
You bet it does. You all are keeping the it lights does. on. You all <laughs> That's are the right. light. And, um, That's right. We need each and every one of you to remember that. Don't let this stuff bring you down. Just never give up and keep on shining because you don't know but what your participation, the way you shine your light, is the reason the world is still holding itself together, honest to goodness. We can't afford to have one of us get discouraged because we all matter and we have to stay vigilant. All right, I'm getting off I the box for tonight. Well, that's, Thank that's you so much, good. Everyone. And, yeah, good timing because Carly is here. Great. So, Many um, blessings to all. Bye-bye Thanks bye for so now. much, Anastasia. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, well, Lavendar and Carly, I'm going to get your microphones open, so just hang on a second here. And, okay, your mics are open. And, Carly, welcome to the show. We're so glad that you can join us tonight. I am delighted that it worked out for me to be on your show. I'm so much looking forward to our conversations this evening. Well, great, great. Well, Lavendar is going to kick it off for us. And, um, Lavendar, are you ready? You there? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, I want to make sure I got your mic open. Okay, so go ahead. Well, Carly, I have been in deep, deep, deep with this book that you have written, and it's so captivating. I have to put it down and walk away at at certain times because I get so emotional about the white lions, and then I go back and pick it up and start over again, and then then I'm so glad that I get to read uh, another chapter without having to have tears in my eyes. Because it's so emotional about these beautiful, beautiful animals. And the way that you have written this story between uh-huh. you and um, Linda Starwolf is just, it's riveting. And I just want all of our listeners to pick up a copy of Sacred Messengers of Shamanic Africa as soon as you can. Because it's it's a book that you will never forget. Never. So Carly, tell us a little bit about you before we start talking about your book. Um, tell us about how you became involved with metaphysics, or um, do you know that you're starseed? Do you do astrology? Just give us some information about you. You know, I think that I came into this world as a starseed, and then through various just life circumstances um, became, you know, really kind of disconnected. You know, early trauma, which I speak about in the book, you know, particularly with the loss of my father and my sister in a car accident and through then my first husband dying in a car accident and and many other traumatic kinds of events that um, my focus became, you know, growing up as a caretaker, a caretaker of my siblings, a caretaker of my children. And uh, so these seeds kind of wove through until there was like uh, a moment where it couldn't, uh, it couldn't, uh, Hold anymore, and the metaphysical piece just came blasting through, um, and uh, and really kind of changed my life. And that was really in my fifties. Although anyone you know that knows me will say, "Oh, Carly, you showed signs way before then." But for me, consciously, it was in those those early fifties when I made some decisions to move through the resistance and the pain and the trauma, and um, really listened to this. This wisdom, um, and I think I remember when a, a woman who is an astrologer, you know, and she is a shamanic astrologer and a friend, and she said, "Carly, you know, you are shamanic, and it's just it was it's just so in your chart, you know, and it's basically just remembering 
that you are shamanic, you know? And I said, I don't even know why I got called to the white lions. I mean, why is it, I don't even have any Leo in my chart, you know? Why would the lions be so prominent, you know? And I wrote about this in the book, too. And she said, you have five houses or five um, planets in the in the house, of the fifth house of Leo, you know? So, you know, there there were these moments or when I, you know, a good friend of mine, I went to her workshop and, you know, going through all the chakras, and I really didn't even know much about the chakras. And then I get this really big message from my third eye chakra, which said, you know, you are a healer. And I didn't know, you know, what that meant because it was so emotional. I just started crying. And it, it became, this was like when I was about 50. And then it was like I began to open more and more, and the synchronicities began to unfold, and I could see my life experiences really help inform me and you know to take whatever that next right step was on my journey and so the astrology really affirmed it um and also the synchronicities and the things that came to me and um as my heart began to open little by little began to say yes and yes and so my world began to expand to a much bigger version and understanding that I could possibly even imagine. And I think the most prominent one, which I do speak in the book too, was to do deep psycho-spiritual work using the shamanic breathwork as the tool, you know, in addition to other um, energy body work, um, you know, uh, Tell us a little modalities. bit more about that. You speak about it in your book, but go into more detail about how that breath work, how it, how, how it works for people. Well, the shamanic breathwork was developed by Linda Starwolf. It's trademarked by Linda Starwolf, and it brings in the shamanic piece of it. And shamanic is really understanding that we are nature. We are connected to, to you know, to all of life. And so, you know, like anything else, when we put out intentions, the shamanic breathwork process itself, understanding that, what brings us in with drumming. So we're laying down on the on the on the ground or on the floor. Um, you know, usually with a mat and a pillow and a blanket, and um, someone takes us into a guided meditation, and there's usually some sort of intention related to that breath work, um, and then they play loud, evocative music, vibrational music, and it takes you through all of the chakras, and this vibrational music is attuned to from the lower chakras to the higher chakras, so the energy actually begins to move in the body in whatever way your own soul, if you want to look at your own inner authority, is ready to release, um, it takes you on a journey. And there's many different ways that it might initially express itself. It can be through a big archetypical experience. It can be somatic where you're just experiencing it in your body as energy moving. It essentially, you know, um, it can take you to historical. You can go to past lives. You can go to different dimensions. It is a way that helps you interdimensional travel, Um, you know, similar to what many people are choosing to do in terms of you know, plant medicines, or used to do back in the 60s and 70s, and, and even today with psychotropics, you know, because that's also become more, you know, um, in our consciousness again this year. But you can do that on your own using the breath and having somebody hold space for you, you know. And oftentimes there will be body walkers that will help facilitate the energy moving through your body or where there might be, like in your solar plexus, 
You know, I can be in a process and someone puts their hand on my solar plexus and it just, you know, activates that movement of that energy as it moves through. And then you, the next piece of it, afterwards they drum you out, you know, and you really have moved through a very deep process. And, you know, moving this energy sometimes might be vocal. It might be, you know, physical in the sense of dancing or, you know, pounding a pillow or, you know, um, um, you know, or giving it sound, um, coughing up stuff, you know, sometimes even, you know, having a, a release through throwing up, you know, just like any trauma, you know, that's held in the body as this begins to be released, then you have an opportunity as you're drummed out and, you know, you're up in the higher chakras, we, you know, have a mandala that we process or that we not process. We first, it's a piece of paper with a circle on it and we you know, use art art tools like markers or crayons and and begin to express a part of that on this paper, what experience we had. And it's really letting the right brain express itself. And then we sit in a circle and we process it in a group where someone is actually facilitating that process with us. And you have an opportunity to just speak, you know, what it is that you experience with everyone listening to you without interrupting you. And I think that's probably, you know, one of the most powerful processes is, is just to be able to, to know that you have the talking stick, you know, and you get to share what happened and everyone listens. And then if you're open, the facilitator will give you feedback. And sometimes the group will give you feedback if you're open to it. But you're totally in charge of the process. And then the integration of that, you know, um, it's a powerful way of beginning to, you know, re um, reinterpret maybe uh, you know an experience that you might have had before or to give you some sort of understanding from a different perspective of what you know you might be um, going through but it's totally up to you so if it doesn't fit you don't take it on you know but the seeds are planted and and the process then begins to unfold because your energy is no longer the same you know you've released some things and now you're in a process of kind of becoming or adapting to a new normal um, and the breathwork by itself is great, but when you do it also in something which Starwolf also developed, it's called the Shamanic Healing Initiatory Process. It's a series of five different workshops, each of them an element associated with the birth um, model. So there's water, earth, fire, spirit, and air. And each of these five modalities take you a deep in a deeper um, exploration of your own inner journey or a lineage journey, because you're also not just doing it for yourself. You're understanding that you carry it in your body through your own lineage, and you also are really working on the collective. And that's what I also write on, on the book. Every work we do on ourselves affects change on the planet. But so the when you did this work with, uh, with Linda, was this when you opened up and knew that you had to go to Africa? Tell us how you got to Africa, and we certainly want to hear about the White Lions. Okay, um, I would uh, yep, I would love to share all of that. Um, it was I had actually graduated from the sh- the the ship process. I chose to do a month long, and this was back in April of 2011, March April of 2011, and it kind of gave me a whole new perspective. And I had a lot of resistance. I mean, there was, you know, I thought I was just fine, you know, and uh, but something just made me take one step after another, and I. I uh, attended that month long, 
And then, you know, I got, I, and I knew I wanted to do this work. And so I came back and I told my husband, we're going to do this work here in Springfield, Illinois. And um, in order to really go deeper to the process, you can, you can go back and you can experience it as a, an apprentice. So I went back as a master apprentice. And um, because in part, I heard that, that uh, Andrew Harvey was going to be one of the um, one of the guest uh, facilitators at the the workshop, and um, I looked up Andrew a little bit because I didn't know anything about him. And a friend of mine said, "Oh, Carly, you know he is a mystic. If you can get a chance to hear Andrew, um, you should do that." And so I went ahead and signed up, and I looked up Andrew online. And one of the things I found was that there was an I can't find it now, but it was an interview that he was doing with. Linda Tucker, who is the uh, founder of the Global White Lion Protection Trust, who lives in Timbavati, um, South Africa, and she is the protector and guardian of these lions, the white lions, um, a mantle that was given her from Maria Coso. But in this little tiny YouTube video, which I really didn't get to hear very much of, um, it, 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 you know, it captivated me because I had lived in Africa before, and I loved Africa. I lived in Nigeria in 1976. No, seventy nine, eighty, and uh, her, you know, explaining what happened to her on a safari in the bush, um, you know, with you know, with a group of people and the jeep breaking down. I mean, it it really captivated me, and I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to know more, and so just that little tiny clip of you know explanation of what had happened um, when Andrew was speaking, and I was sitting in the front row um, at his feet. Basically, it was a very crowded room with a lot of you know people there to hear him. Um, he was taking questions, and I raised my hand to answer a question. Um, and my husband was actually in the room with me as well, but he was in the back. And Andrew, just in that moment between calling on me, you know, and finishing up with someone else, he mentioned the lions. He mentioned the white lions, and it's almost as if Lavender that there was, you know, a you know, a moment of energy that was available, and he called on me, and it was like it it directly went into my heart, and I just started sobbing. I, you know, when he called on me, I couldn't, I couldn't even, I just, I was like a limp noodle. I didn't know what had happened, but it was like an energy transfer that ignited that own passion within me, and I then the next day went into a shamanic breathwork, and in the shamanic breathwork process, um, a lion, a white lion, and... Uh, um, Maria Coso came to me in the, in a vision in this breathwork and told me I needed to go to Africa. And it actually, I had one the following day, and it, so I had two in a row, and both of them were very clear that you needed to go to Africa. And I fought it. It's like I have no idea why I would be going here. You know, I had work to do in Springfield, Illinois. I was starting this whole new congregation and doing shamanic breathwork, and, um, and yet I did listen. So, And there happened to be one opening available and initially star wolf was going to go with me um along with her husband and they um weren't able to do that and i ended up doing it on my own so in a um uh so i guess um essentially that happened in october and by april i was doing sacred warriorship with andrew harvey in, in uh, tempavati with the white lions and that was my very first time going um, even though I had no money to do that, you know, it was really listening to a, a bigger call, um, which was spirit calling and trusting that it would all unfold. 
and that led to me traveling to Africa. I mean, it was like one opportunity after another that presented itself for me to continue on that journey. So in that first five years afterwards, I had, I, you know, I attended, I mean, I went there five times, you know. Yeah, and then I know attended. you did. And, and the thing that really rocked my world in this book was when you started talking about the 31st meridian and how that certain things have happened on the planet, events that are major in our world that happened on the 31st meridian. So give us a little insight of how you discovered that. Well, you know, reading, you know, and I'd encourage everyone to read The Mystery of the White Lions, also um, Linda Tucker's first book that, you know, she describes her own journey of awakening and putting all these clues together. It's a very um, powerful book. And, and reading that, it began, you know, and also some of the experiences that I had there at the at the at the Global White Lion Protection Trust, personal experiences and teachings and just all of the things that were happening inside my own body and my own, you know, healing, that I began to understand the bigger picture, at, you know, of this 31st meridian. And it's the longitudinal meridian that goes, cuts right down the center of Africa, and it actually goes completely around the planet, you know. But when we're looking, if you took all of the land masses and you laid them flat, you know, it is exactly halfway between these land masses. And it, you know, and it connects, if we just look at Africa, it connects Timbavati, where the white lions, and the only place that the white lions are found naturally, their endemic environment, and they're white lions with blue eyes. And they were prophesied to return to Earth during a time of great evolutionary change, just like the white buffalo and the white reindeer and the white bear from Canada. I mean, all of these animals, the the indigenous people, you know, the prophecy was that these were light bearers and they would return at a time when we were going through lots of, you know, um, lots of evolutionary change of consciousness. And so, you know, as I'm understanding, you know, this meridian, you know, and reading about it, this meridian goes all the way up to Giza. So it connects with Egypt. The Sphinx paws lie on this meridian. You know, several other sacred sites, Adam's calendar, which was more recently named, but it's an ancient astrological calendar, you know, that is at least, you know, 75,000 years old. I mean, now they're predicting somewhere between 75 and 100,000 years old. We're beginning to understand, you know, that that this is where, you know, humans all evolved from. As we are examining the DNA here, you know, the first people are connected to us. And the more that we put these together, you know, with this bigger implication of understanding that Mother Earth herself is an entity, you know, she is a being, and we are a microcosm of her. So the 31st meridian essentially is like the spine of Mother Earth or spine of Pachimama. It's her energetic spine, just like we have a spine that runs down our back. And, you know, and we are the microcosm. We are learning more and more that we are a hologram. We can take a cell in our body and recognize that it holds the whole. You know, everything holds, you know, a a piece of the whole, you know, um, in our beings. And so we start to understand a deeper connection as we start to put these pieces together and what is this meridian we also know this meridian is where most of the gold is found and most of it has been dug into the earth along with many other um you know uh highly prized you know like diamonds you know are along this meridian and it's i wanted to interrupt you here just to ask a question when i read about the gold 
and the spine. And then I thought about, you know, when you find quartz crystals, you don't find gold. But if you find gold, there's always quartz. So in my mind, I thought, oh, the gold and the quartz vibrating in the spine, I'm sure has some kind of activation to the other 33 power, gem PowerPoints on the planet. You know, I I totally think that you you know that there's something to that. You know, if we just think about our own bodies and all of the connections here in our body, you know, all these meridians and all of these energetic, you know, um, uh, what do we, um, you know, um, cords that we have, you know, that we're beginning to open up these cords as we're doing more of our inner work to integrate that sacred fat, masculine and feminine to find that balance in our own bodies of this integration piece, you know, it is very much like that, you know, with Mother Earth, you know, her as we're, you know, doing work on this meridian and, you know, um, beginning to heal some of these places and, you know, support the healing of these places in Africa and recognize that. I think all those energetic meridians begin to open up across the planet and connect to other sacred sites. We know that... um, at least I mean, I prophesize, well, prophesize isn't the right word, but Adam's calendar, one thought is that it was the central place, you know, of igniting heaven on earth, you know, is one way to look at it, that linked to these other sacred sites like Stonehenge, yes. that they would communicate across the planet from here to sacred sites in Peru or, you know, all of the sacred places around the planet. It's, you know, it's understanding that one's more important than the other, but if we understand the bigger picture with the Milky Way as well as this underground river, you know, and the pyramids that exist in the earth, you know, it's just much bigger than we ever, I believe anyway. And it's really quite exciting as we begin to remember this indigenous. That's the other thing that breathwork can do is help us remember that we carry that knowledge, that great knowledge within us because we are, we have the inner universe inside of us. Right. I wanted to. I wanted just to comment on the eclipse that happened a year ago in August. It happened yes. on on a place. I think it was 28 or 29 of Leo, which I've always kind of been charting that uh, degree as secret places of the lion. So when the eclipse happened a year ago, I was and it came across our our country, our the USA. I really had the feeling that we were being stepped up into a, a, a higher vibration of knowledge and that the secret places of the lion was going to start happening from different places all over the world. So when I got your book and it was about the white lions, I went, oh, I wonder if this has anything to do with how that eclipse activated that point a year ago. Yeah, I know. I, I you know, um, I believe it It has, you know, Um all of these things happening during that, you know, um, during that portal, you know, uh, and certainly the that ec- particular eclipse during that Leo, and I can't speak into, I'm, uh, you know, my brain is not quite pulling those uh, all of the the language for it, but understanding that it was an incredible shift at that point that was, you know, really bringing I think a lot of shadow pieces much more into conscious awareness at a higher octave which is really calling forth that, you know, that lion within us, you know, to step forward. And and it's really in alignment. I mean, it's understanding that it's really not an abuse of power, but it's coming forth as, you know, that, that lion within that says we need to be back into alignment 
with our understanding of our connection to the natural world and to each other, that there has been so much trauma and separation, you know, and so much polarity that it has caused us to act in ways that are not right, you know, um, not from the heart, you know, that there's been so much wounding. So. Right. Tell us a little bit about the lion named Mara, M-A-R-A-H. Is that the way you pronounce it, Mara? It is, Mara, and and she is the mother of Ra is what it means. And, um, you know, the the, the white lions started um, coming uh, back, you know, mostly in the 70s. I think there were some that came back earlier, maybe in the 40s, but by the 70s they were, they, they were discovered and they were brought to the awareness of the public, and, and um, many people came in and actually captured them for zoos, or they hunted them um, for trophy hunting, um, and essentially, you know, for like 11 years, um, they were there was no sight of them whatsoever. Um, pretty much, um, you know, although pretty much extinct, except there were still some lions that carried uh, some of the tawny lions carried the the the, um, the gene for these white lions with blue eyes. And Maria Cosa, who is the Lion Queen of Timbavati, and she's no longer on the planet, but she was a very much a lion shaman, and she or shamaness, and she she told Linda Tucker that an, a white lion would be born soon to help usher in this new age. And um, and sure enough, um, um, in the year 2000, uh, on Christmas Day, in the town of Bethlehem, South Africa. <laughs> Um, a white lion cub was was born, and uh, this was the lion, and she was given the name Mara. But she was born in a canned camp, uh, and a canned camp, um, as I speak about in the book too, is a it's an industry where they raise um, lions, and of course other animals across the planet are can- and I have canned camps as well. But in South Africa, a canned camp is where they raise these lions and. Um, they socialize them. So as soon as the babies, as soon as the mothers have their cubs, they take the cubs away from the mother don't, and don't even allow her to nurse them. And they, you know, invite people to come from particularly Western countries, but it can be any country, to hand-feed them as sort of an attraction. So they really socialize these lions and they crossbreed them. And when they're, old, you know, a little bit older, they have people come and they walk them. And who doesn't want to be with a lion? You know, I mean, that's a pretty inviting thing, and yet it's a very dark industry because they're raising them um, for trophy hunters to come and kill. So they make a lot of money. They come and spend fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to shoot a lion at close range. Oftentimes, the, they may have even been drugged because they keep them in cages once they get to be, you know, a little bit more um, more adult-like, you know, more threatening and. Uh, this industry is where Mara was born, and so Linda Tucker vowed, um, made a contract with this um, beautiful um, Mara cub, and was able to to rescue her. And it, and it was a long and incredible um, journey. And she writes about this in, in one of her books that actually shares the journey of that. And you know, because it went from getting her out of the legally, actually getting her out of the cane camp industry, she went into a zoo, and it took several years to actually legally be able to release her from the zoo. She actually had three cubs while she was there, um, three siblings, and uh, um, they were actually raised. It's another interesting piece of the dark side. 
so that they wouldn't become socialized to the public. They were raised in the sort of the dungeon of the zoo in the dark. And uh, but the story is powerful, and how the synchronicity of how everything fell into place, and really is about trust. And um, in addition to hard, you know, sacred activism work, she was able to return this lion, Mara, who was prophesied to usher in this age, along with these three cubs, to their homeland in Timbavati. So some land became available. And and it's a beautiful story, and it has continued to unfold, um, you know, with um, additional land to accommodate um, uh, the protection of these lions and the continued um, um, birth of new lions, you know, bringing tawny lions into to breed with with the white lions. Mara died shortly after her um, arrival on the land. She was um, killed in her attempt to uh, go into a warthog den, and it collapsed on her. But these these lions hold this incredible light, so when we go to visit um, and sit with them at the Global White Lion Protection Trust, we go out in in uh, Range Rovers or, you know, Jeeps, um, to um, to sit in their presence with incredible love and uh, open-heartedness and relationship with them and allow an exchange to happen. And they can be very, very close to you, but it's really about understanding that they are very much wild lions and we are in a place of reverence and the understanding of our relationship with them and with nature. So why was there so much international outrage over Cecil's death when that happened? You know, I think everything comes at the right timing, you know, doesn't it? You know, it's like when the world was ready energetically, and that was another pivotal time astrologically, you know, for Cecil to, because lots of lions um, are killed all the time, and some of them even ones that might be, you know, favorites of tourists. But Cecil was a particular uh, special lion, and he was a dark mane lion that many, you know, people um, that came to visit him loved, and and the people who worked with them, you know, at the at Sitwanki National Park, you know, from what I read, had a very special relationship and an honoring of how he was in relationship with the other lions. So the timing was absolutely perfect that this happened when there was already so much work that had been done to bring things into more of an alignment, to bring things more conscious into our, to bring more of the shadow into the light, you know, essentially. You know, um, I think the more work we do, the more light gets shined on those pieces that need to transform. And Cecil's death catapulted, you know, a national movement of awareness where it just, I mean, it was like, uh, you know, it was like a lightning bolt that just spread through the consciousness of humanity. And, you know, there were so many other things going on, and I think some of us wondered why is it there's such an outrage over this. But to understand the bigger picture is really an important part, that this is an energy piece, that it is calling forth us to stand in our own inner authority, the lion within us, you know, to say no more, you know, whether it's to killing lions or to killing humans, to be in in a war or to be, you know, whatever, you know, the separation and damage that has been caused. And there's been a lot of that. And as you can see, you know, we began to make a lot of movement to change some of the policies. I mean, it was like 
change happened very rapidly, and then as that change happened, the pendulum then began to, you know, the you know the the opposing forces, as we might, you know, maybe speak into, you know, began to push against that, and so there was a last ditch kind of, you know, effort to pull back if we want to call it patriarchy, you know, a particular way of being that continues to cause separation between us and other and us and nature, reared its head and took back that control. And so we're seeing all of this. It's like we can't hide any of it anymore, you know. And in the last couple of years, particularly even what's going on right now, you know, in our world, we're seeing more and more shadow like we have never seen it before. It's always been there. But it's now in our awareness, and we are seeing it with new eyes. Sesso was on the 31st meridian. <laughs> you know, that's the other piece, you know. Sesso existed not too far from Great Zimbabwe, you know, which is on the 31st meridian, which is this ancient civilization. This is the land of Zeptepi. This is that place where, you know, if we can understand that this this piece of his incredible you know, sacrifice in many ways for us to wake up happened at, at a critical time for everything else to unfold. And now they even have a new president. I mean, that's the other thing. The president that was in office, you know, in an autocratic way for like 35 years or something, you know, um, you know, was out of office shortly after that. Wow. So it really tells us that, that we're in a... a an evolving place where the animals and trees and rocks and is everything supporting the new movement that's happening on the planet. Because after 2012, I noticed that a lot of people stepped into their power. A lot of star seeds started waking up and coming forward and trying to find one another. So we're really yes. in a in a very exciting time right now to to yes. witness and to be part of, you know, the new civilization that's coming to our planet. So I wanted to ask you more about this 31st meridian who are the messengers that are along this 31st meridian do you have a list of messengers yeah there are so many different messengers and i the way that i understand it is that when we can connect with these um whether it's the animals you know that are um on this 31st meridian um, and I and I do think that the animals. I think you spoke into it a little bit, just you know, in that um, just before this question, was that um, you know they are really showing whether it's the lions or many of the other animals, we are seeing a different kind of relationship with those animals. They, you know, I, at least for myself, and I'm guessing for many people that we no longer are in the place of being able to see them as not having a consciousness. We are seeing compassion exhibited, you know, intelligence exhibited that we used to think only belonged to man, you know, or human, and and we no longer see that. We are seeing higher intelligence and behavior from the animal world. And a good animal communicator friend of mine, you know, um, st- um, said that the animals have really shared that they are, we're kind of behind them. We're in their shadow. <laughs> so these messengers on the 31st meridian have particular messages for us right now um, on, you know, in Africa, you know, because this has been in their blood, in their DNA, and it, they're a little bit closer maybe to this, to the activation of that, you know, whether it's the zebras, 
you know, or the giraffes or the the lions themselves or the dung beetles. I mean, there's there's no, you know, it's not like one is more important or less important than the other. Each of them are gifting us with certain messages. And I remember, you know, I was with Baba Mandaza Kandema. He's a holy man from Zimbabwe who's been a big part of my teaching. He's a peacekeeper and a carrier of the water nations. And one of the few, I think, left of these really, you know, deep and, you know, um, uh, holy men that, you know, that carry this wisdom. You know, his messages um, are, you know, so clear, you know, to know that, um, they, you know, they very easily speak from him. And I remember we had this giraffe that just turned, and we were sitting and just opening our hearts because giraffe has the largest heart of any land animal. And actually there were several different experiences I had with giraffes where, you know, they were really connecting with us energetically. And the message that, you know, this particular giraffe gave, you know, was that the war is not over yet, you know, and that peacekeepers are still needed. And that message hit me so strong, you know, and that giraffe started to walk away, and it looked right at us, and it turned, started to walk away, and then turned around and looked right back at us as if to really reiterate the message that we had just given from Mandaza that really resonated for me. And to know that, yes, lots of progress is being made, but we are all being asked to step up in a, in a very, you know, and this is the key, because we can react, but it's really about becoming embodied and what needs to happen now to begin to support these changes unfolding so that we continue to make progress as this evolutionary shift happens. And... uh so anyway, the you know the giraffe is one, you know, and uh, and there's just there was just many that I write about them in the book. Of, you know, they kind of were the ones that gave me um, a bigger story of understanding this that I'm vibration and that my work and healing myself was being supported by them healing, you know, and vibrationally me as I was also healing and supporting the earth through the ceremonies that we did. Because there is no, you know, there's always a gift back between us and another. It's not just me doing something for them. It's an exchange. It's an energetic exchange. I wanted to ask you, do you take people to Africa? Do you have tours that you take? We have a tour coming up very soon. So we took one in 2016, Linda Starwolf and myself and my husband, John Malin. And um, we have another tour, um, and there's still a few available spots a tour that's going to Timbavati uh, to be with the White Lions and uh, um, and to actually Kruger National Park also, and we will be doing shamanic breathwork. And then we're headed up to Zimbabwe, and we're going to be traveling with Baba Mandaza um, through Zimbabwe to the sacred sites. We will be going to Wonki National Park where Cecil was killed, or he, you know, he, and that's certainly where he was from. And uh, we'll be working with the elephants there as well. As, as well as many of the other sacred animals, uh, going to Victoria Falls, um, you know, and uh, and going Victoria to Great Zimbabwe. Falls is beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. It's, I saw pictures. I know it's that, so large. I want to go there waterfall. one day. So when is this next tour? What month are you going? The next tour, we we start on the fifteenth of November, and we will finish on December first. You know, that's the beginning day of the Pleiadian lineup. That's when the the Pleiadians come to the planet in their ships is on the 15th of November to the 20th. 
You know what? That is so perfect. You know, I you know I just trust. Sometimes we don't even know, you know, when we choose a date, the significance of it. You know, but that really fits. Yeah, you know, I didn't does. realize the I know book that we'll was be in Arkansas at that time uh, with our group. Uh, we've got a lo- uh, the alumni from our Starseed Crystal group is going to be meeting in November, so we'll keep you in mind and and um, and know that uh, we'll be connected to you and the White Lions while we're in Arkansas. That would be so. That would be amazing. I would really appreciate that, and um, I will do the same to bring you guys in. I would like um, to also send you some Giza crystals that were energized in the Great Pyramid of Giza in 1983 when the Pleiadians came. So when we get through uh, uh, with our emails tomorrow, I want to be able to uh, get your mailing address so I can send you some, okay? That would be that would be wonderful. I would really appreciate that. I'm also teaching and uh, co-facilitating a mystery school, a shamanic multidimensional mystery school with Judith Corvin Blackburn. And, uh, you know, she's uh, been doing a lot of work with Barbara Hanclaw's book, uh, but she's really, she's in the middle of writing her own book on the on the uh, dimensions, and uh, that fits in very well. So I would I would really appreciate that. So, so um, let's, and, co- let's connect tomorrow so that I can get you these Giza crystals mailed out to you, okay? Awesome, awesome. Give you Ooh, enough okay, to give thoughts. to the rest of the people on your trip. Very How good. How many people will um, you have? Well, we, you know, like I said, we have a few more um, openings. Uh, right now we have uh, 13 of us. Okay. So I'll, uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk later so I can get the right amount uh, of geese to give to you for the trip. Yeah, that's great. I'm noticing what time it is, and I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Ariel, who has the switchboard. And maybe some people might want to call in and comment or ask you questions. Are you ready to do that? Uh, sure. Okay. So, Carly, thank you so much for writing this book. Bravo, 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 girl. I'm really proud of you for, for uh, and I know this was a, a, a calling. As you read the book, you can tell that everything about you is, is because you've been called to do this in your life. This is part of your mission on the planet, and it's very It, it is. So uh, let's connect tomorrow, and back to you, Ariel. Yeah, thank you very much, Lavender. I really appreciate um, your enthusiasm, your support, and uh, this opportunity to be on your show. Okay. Well, this is Ariel, and um, right now uh, I would like to tell the audience that if you are already on the switchboard and you have a question or comment for Carly, then all you need to do is press 1 so that we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on the computer then just pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you get in, then you press 1. So we know you want to come on the air. And while we're waiting to see if we have any callers with questions, I wanted to ask you to go into a little bit more detail um, about what are the mysteries of Africa? Um, You know, the mysteries are, you know, for me, it's understanding the bigger picture, you know. So the bigger part of the mystery is to see that we are a microcosm of the macrocosm, meaning that, you know, and it's not just Earth. I mean, it's the cosmos. But if we just look at the Earth, I mean, part of the mystery is to understand that there is this bigger connection than we could have ever imagined and that, 
you know, part of the mystery is to understand that trees, and we're beginning to actually find more you know, uh, scientific information that allows us, it's not just this metaphysical piece that, you know, that trees communicate with each other. You know, that's part of our, we know that. It's in our bodies, you know, it's in our DNA, and we have forgotten because there's been this separation, this disconnect from our own inner indigenous knowledge. But more and more it's being, you know, proven scientifically. So we understand, you know, we get a connection with a tree. You know, oftentimes many of us have this connection with trees, Trees, you know, they are very much, they share our DNA. I don't remember exact proportion, but they share quite a bit of our DNA, or we share quite a bit of our DNA with trees. You know, that they too have a heart, and their heart, you know, connects with our heart, you know, and uh, they communicate with each other through their root system and actually have friends, and we share oxygen and, car. you know, we are interdependent. We cannot exist without each other. Those are the mysteries. You know, and we begin to remember more and more. We understand that it's not—it's not just science. I mean, science and spirituality are very much intertwined, and we begin to remember these—you know—this bigger picture. You know, to know that we're connected to the star nations. That you know that we have our ancient ancestors came from the stars, and there's you know there's many more, you know, um, maybe theories about that, but. Part of the mystery on the 31st meridian is to understand that 31st meridian correlates with the Milky Way. And these lions, you know, white lions, are said to be from the star system Sirius, you know, as is the wolf, as is the whale. And we begin to explore that and not just think it's woo-woo. We begin to go into a deeper understanding of our interconnection with as above, so below, as within, so without, these these prophecies, and um, I think more and more of us, as these energies shift, are beginning to open to the mysteries, and it's exciting. You know, it's oh, not so I limited. That. Yeah, yeah. So, um, are you saying that the, that these, you said that dolphins, the white lions, and uh, another one. Would you say whales? The, or, wha- the whale, yeah, and the wolf and, and, and us that come from this star constellation, you know, from Sirius. It's known as the blue star, you know, um, and we're in relationship with these energies um, as they're, um, you know, to remember our connection. And, you know, these are very significant beings. I mean, the um, for me, you know, the lion and the wolf, you know, we're not just for me, they are you know, apex predators, you know, and we know that when they are in balance in their environment and allowed, you know, you know, allowed is probably, you know, you know, when they are in their natural environment and um, not hunted to extinction, they can fulfill their contract, you know, um, with their sacred purpose, which is to keep things in alignment and to hold that energetic space. And when they do, everything else comes into balance, right? You know, they return the wolf mm-hmm. to Yellowstone, and everything went into balance. The rivers, the streams, the plants, and the animals all return to balance, you know. And we understand that, you know, with the overhunting of them or seeing them as evil or demonizing them or seeing the separation and we want to kill them, for whatever reason, um, in addition to the same thing with the lions, then the whole world is out of balance. And we are remembering we are apex predators too, and we have been out of balance. We've been disconnected. 
And so there's this huge, I think, thrust to waking up, you know, and healing the inner masculine and feminine or the right and left brain in us to come into a healthy relationship as we release the trauma. I know I kind of answered probably more than you expected. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, I mean, it makes so much sense. And I was kind of like tracking it a little bit even farther when these very sacred animals start showing up, you know, whether it's the the white lion or white bears or, you know, these sacred messengers, if they if they come from an extraterrestrial source and we're mm-hmm. seated here and we too are from an extraterrestrial source and have been seated here, when we see that other animal, you know, the the sacred messenger there's got to be some kind of a DNA resonance that ignites something. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Be, you know, if if you've got, you know, if this if this animal has Syrian DNA and I do, whether or not I know it, when you see that animal, there's got to be some kind of a connection or an activation that happens at a very um, maybe silent and deep level, but it still happens. Yeah, primal kind of, you know, uh, remembrance, you know, um, that we do, you know, or we're called, you know, to the, you know, to these animals for whatever reason. I don't think it just has to be in our astrological chart because it's in everybody's DNA to remember. Well, that, yeah, that's you know? what I meant. I mean, yeah, not yeah. not just astrological, but I'm talking about things that are hidden in the DNA. Yeah. That you know yeah. we're unaware of, but when you see, a, a, you know, another living being who has those same things, I mean, you don't have to be spiritual, but you can still on some level be aware yeah. that there was a You're going to feel it. You might resonance. have a, yeah. Yeah, an emotional response mm-hmm. to it because there's something that, you know, and we are having those more of those moments like, boy, that I felt something or I cried, started crying. How many of us right now are tears are streaming down our face and we don't, you know, we, and it's an, you know, we don't know exactly why, but something we're feeling it at a deeper level, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a person, yeah. you know, uh, you know, or an animal or, you know, or a story that just touches us profoundly. That's information for us. That tells us that something really important just happened. This is how I see it. And that is a key, you know, to opening up to the mysteries of our own purpose because we each are unique in what we bring energetically to the planet right now. To remember this connection to the stars, you know, as these things become more accessible, you know, to bring the sacred, you know, back here to earth. To become embodied, I think, is another piece. I think it's important. Right, right. And a lot of people are are really only half here, (laughs) you know, so you've got to bring that whole consciousness into your into your life in in this dimension. Yeah. To help yes. ra- to help raise it up, you know. So, I wanted to ask you yeah. um one more question because I I I don't see any any activity here on the switchboard even though uh we do have several people that they apparently just don't have any questions. So, this is your last call. <laughs> if you have if you have a question for Carly, uh you'll need to press 1 on your keypad. And, um, again, if you're listening on the computer, you need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, you just press 1 and we'll 
get you on the air to ask your question of Carly. But um, while we're waiting to see if we have any takers on that, I just wanted to ask you um, one last question. Um, what would you hope that uh, readers would gain or achieve in uh, reading your book? You know, the the book was um, the the book has a bigger purpose. Also, I mean, it is to awaken. You know, it, it was a book that really wanted to be written. You know, in terms of its energy exchange for humanity. Um, and I think the piece that I hold really strong in there is that it is the return of the feminine, you know, and bringing this feminine life force, which is creation, which is the great I am, you know, that each of us humans, you know, are coming into a new relationship with our inner feminine, which is this, you know, inner authority, you know, connected to this inner authority, to be in a place to do our own personal work, um, to to step up and uh, to become, you know, um, sacred. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I hesitate to sacred, you know, activists, but not in the traditional way. It's what is it that I can do to help facilitate this change at this time on our planet when our energies are needed. And it may just be beginning to establish a kinder, gentler relationship with our neighbors, or it may be bigger work, you know, with, you know, um, you know, making changes in, you know, whatever kind of um, institutional way that we can to shift this. Every one person's, one person doing one thing differently it's like that grain of sand that can make a difference to support it because we are being called forth to develop ourselves in a higher consciousness way and to come back to the heart. So I guess that would be the other one, Ariel, is to come into relationship with our hearts um, as we make the changes that need to happen for a more uh, humane world. Exactly, exactly. Humane to each other, humane to the animals, humane to the to Mother Nature. Um, you know, it, it comes down to you know, compassion, kindness, and that's that's a lot of feminine. Uh, a lot of feminine, and also the fierce, you know, energy or the Mara, which I speak about, because Mara seems to be to me, you know. Um, this fierce energy, but at the next you know level of consciousness and compassion and love, you know that says no more, we can't operate in the old patriarchy ways of separation, you know which came from trauma, and uh it exists in all of us, and it's you know healing that and uh bringing those beautiful traits to the forefront, you know with this incredible courage and um and right action. Well, that that just about sums it up. So we all have our assignments now. <laughs> we just go out and, and get her done. Uh, so I want to uh, one more time just uh, mention your website, which is aharaspiritualcommunity.org, and that is spelled A-A-H-A-R-A, spiritualcommunity.org. And I assume you've got your, your trip, um, to Africa, your tour—you got that listed up there, and it's, contact it's definitely information. Definitely on there. Uh huh. 
Yes, okay. and you can also check out the Sacred Messengers website. It's a fa- not website, but Facebook page. Um, there is a Facebook page on the book, which will have information on it as well. Well, excellent, excellent. Well, we so appreciate your spending your time and um, energy with us this evening and for the work that you've done in producing this wonderful book. We encourage our listeners to go and, and get a copy and uh, enjoy it. Thank you so uh, much, Ariel. (laughs) You're so welcome. So I'm going to wrap it up now, and um, I just want to thank everyone for listening. And we will be back next week. From all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, thank you so much. Have a great week. And remember, find gratitude and give compassion in every day. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 